And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fan's Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan the Fan bats around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the Bat Around. Stan, take it away. All right, a very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you on this Saturday, the 20... Today's the 22nd, correct? Correct. I got it right. The 22nd of June, 2019, the Bat Around is on the air, and if you're only hearing my voice and Ryan McGittigan's voice, that's because Craig Heist had uh, a, f- a family, not physical, a plumbing emergency at his apartment out in Laurel. So uh, we wish him a speedy recovery uh, to whatever ails his plumbing issues out there. Uh, Craig will be joining the show at 1120. We'll chat with him and hope by then he's got his pipes fixed. All right. Uh, What we have on today's show is at about 1017, Andrew Stetka. Fresh off of his uh, cruise, family cruise, is back in Arizona, and he will join us. He's with the Utah Street Report and also writes uh, weekly columns for the MassInSports.com website. At 1040, we'll be joined by Mel Antonin. Mel, a uh, longtime USA Today baseball writer, now an uh, analyst for Mid-Atlantic Sports Report. Every day of the week, Monday through Friday, so that's Masson Sports, and he also writes for MassonSports.com. Mel does a super job, a good friend. At 11 o'clock, former Mets general manager, now the host of the leadoff spot on MLBXM Radio, Steve Phillips will join us, and Steve, um, uh, long I've long been an admirer of Steve Phillips. Uh, he does a really nice job on the radio uh, with his energy and insights, uh, and brought a, a, a much needed uh, sort of big time credibility to the leadoff spot. Uh, he's going to join us. I heard him the other day, I think it was Tuesday of this week, and I immediately asked Glenn if he could reach out to him. I know he and Glenn are fairly friendly. And Steve Phillips is like yours truly, Stan the Fan, a rather large proponent or big time proponent of the electronic eye for uh, calling balls and strikes. Uh, And Steve, I would have liked to have Steve on at any time, but what really hit me was Steve Phillips envisions the game. And this was was a discussion between he and Eduardo Eduardo Perez, excuse me, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, the former Orioles prospect pitches for the Red Sox, Eduardo Perez and he. And Steve was really envisioning, like I do, how much faster the game of baseball will move once we get beyond all the BS, like what happened between Manny Machado and I forget which umpire it was this week, uh, which netted uh, Machado a one-game suspension and got the uh, Major League Baseball umpires union in a lot of hot water for going public with their uh, uh, discontent over the one-game suspension uh, likening this to workplace violence, what took place, and uh, I, I just don't, I just don't think that that was appropriate by the umpires' union. And you know, there's no bigger Manny Machado sort of basher uh, than yours truly. Uh, although I think he gets a little bit of a bad rap. First of all, the ball that in question 
which Machado thought was a ball and he was called out on strikes, was a terrible call by the home plate umpire. And uh, you would take all the emotion and all the griping and the bitching and the whining and the, and the looks, you'd take that all out of play if you go to electronic home plate umpiring, okay? And not umpiring, balls and strikes call. I want to make it very clear. Nobody is looking to get 15 umpires fired, nor is anyone proposing that we get through this with 15 less umpires. You'd still need a home plate umpire in case the Wi-Fi or the electronics went down. Uh, highly unlikely, but if they did, you'd have a, a ball and strike umpire behind home plate. But you still need somebody to make calls at the plate, plays at the plate, box, uh, runner's interference uh, down the line. Uh, so there's a bunch of calls that a home plate umpire, having nothing to do with balls and strikes, would still need to be there. Anyway, Steve Phillips will talk about that. 11-18, Craig Heist will join us on the show and um, we'll talk about the uh, rampaging Washington Nationals. And then at 11.35, Craig was able to arrange to get us Kevin McAlpin, a longtime friend of the show. He's the Braves beat reporter for AM680 in Atlanta, and he will join us to talk about how the uh, Braves are feeling, whether they expect uh, the Nationals to uh, supply some heat to them over the next few weeks. And I will tell you that, Three series ago, or two series ago, I looked at four teams, the Mets, the Braves, the Phillies, and the, um, and the uh, Nationals. And of the next seven series, the Phillies had six series against very good teams, teams with winning records or the combatants in their division. The, the, the Atlanta Braves had five of seven series against tough teams the Mets I think had also five or six against of seven series against good teams like the Cubs and Atlanta and Philadelphia but the Washington Nationals had only three good teams and that meant that they play and after Sunday's game the Nationals next 12 or 13 games are against the Miami Marlins the Kansas City Royals, the Detroit Tigers, and again with the Marlins. This is all while, as I said, the Atlanta Braves play, I think, two of three good series against good teams. The Phillies are still having two of three good series against good teams. Uh, So I think the Nationals, if they can win one more of these games against Atlanta and win the series, I think they're in very good shape to pick up three or four games over the next three weeks, um, two and a half weeks before the All-Star break. So we'll see about, uh, we'll talk about that with uh, some of our guests today on the program. What a game uh, the Orioles had last night. Uh, Sean Gilmartin was the opener uh, slash starter for the Orioles last night. He was brought up from the minor leagues. You remember he pitched really well last season for the Baltimore Orioles in limited opportunities. He probably pitched in 10, 12 games with the Orioles and and fared very well. Former Mets, member of the Mets bullpen. Uh, he was brought up in a crunch, needed three or four good innings. The Orioles got out to a 3 to nothing lead in case you didn't stick with the game. And uh, lo and behold, before you knew it, the Orioles were up 3 nothing at the end of a half an inning against Mike Leake. A big hit, the big blow of Pedro Severino, two-run double. 
Chance Cisco got an RBI, and the Orioles had three runs. But by the end of the second inning, and 60 pitches, nearly 60 pitches later, the Mariners had tied the ball game three to three. And then in the Mariners' third inning, uh, remember it's three three now. In the third inning, the Mariners played at five runs on five hits, and um, they started the inning with a ground out by Tom Murphy, a single by Narvaez, the catcher. Seeger, Kyle Seeger, hit a two-run homer to put the uh, Mariners up five to three. Then, uh, and that was the that was it for um, that was it for um, Sean Gilmartin. In came Brandon Klein, uh, walk, ground out, single, single, double uh, before he struck out Vogelback to end the uh, inning. Um, so they had played two more runs on that Santana double. Uh, and they now led seven to three, right? No, eight to three. Excuse me. They played five runs that inning, and went from three to three to eight to three. And then Klein pitched a really strong fourth inning. And I said, "Hmm, I think Klein might be straightened out." He then retired the number eight hitter Dylan Moore in the fifth inning and gave up a solo home run to a not too productive Mac Williamson. Uh, bombed the center field. That was it for him. Then Tanner Scott came in and promptly walked the bases, uh, walked two batters, gave up a single to Vogel back, and walked the bases loaded. He was out, able to get out of that inning with not a further run, but now the Orioles are facing a 10-3 to obstacle against Mike Leak, who, by the way, um, is a pretty leaky pitcher, but Get the see what I did there, Ryan. You know, leak Mike Leak. He's yeah. a leaky pitcher, full of jokes but, today. But he does, but he does not walk anybody. It's amazing. But the Orioles pieced together in their half of the sixth inning. Let's see what this started the inning. Started the inning with a VR double. Santander grounded out. Then uh, Dwight Smith singled the left. That plated VR. Now it's ten to four. Severino singled. Cisco single doubled to right, plating one run. It's now ten to five. Uh, infield hit by um, Hanser Alberto, plated another run. It's now six ten to six. And then on an error by uh, J.P. Crawford, Ruiz drives in a run, and it's ten to seven. And that's how that inning would end. The Orioles then wait a minute, hold on. Uh, yeah, Alberto was the last runner to score. So the Orioles plated five runs to make it 10 to 8. Now get a load of this. In the seventh, um, they lead off, they get a leadoff double by Anthony Satander, and then a single by, by Dwight Smith. There's runners on first and third. Severino singles. They're now runners on first and second. Nobody out. And the Orioles have closed from ten to three to ten to nine. Here's what happens next: Chance Cisco comes up in sort of his biggest at bat since he's returned, uh, and he's already gotten two hits and two RBIs. He ends up striking out against um, uh, Corey Gearin, the pitcher who has that stutter step, which is really a balk. But um, he strikes out looking against him. Hanser Alberto grounds into the double play. No big deal. We've played it one run. It's disappointing we didn't tie the game there. 
from that point on, Cisco's strikeout, this is what the Orioles hitters did, the last eight hitters of the game, down one run. Cisco strikes out looking, Alberto double play, next inning Adams comes in, big tall right-hander, Ruiz strikes out swinging, Davis strikes out swinging, Wilkerson strikes out swinging. In the ninth against Romanus Elias, Elias, VR strikes out swinging, Santander strikes out swinging, and uh, Nunez flies out to center field. So the last eight batters pitched to, we got a double play, six strikeouts, and a fly ball. All, all it takes is that one, and it just it is unfortunate it happened at such a crucial time in the game. I know. I know you were up late last night watching that game and living and dying by every pitch. It was very frustrating. Uh, and that's the way the game finished, 10-9. to nine. The Orioles will uh, face uh, that same Mariners club today. Uh, Andrew Kashner is pitching for the Orioles. And for the life of me, I cannot remember... I have to quickly go to ESPN.com, get out of that, and it is driving me nuts who's pitching for the Mariners today. It is... It is Malone. Tommy Malone, yep. Former Washington National, Minnesota, pitched for a former Oakland A, Washington National, uh, pitched for several other teams. Tommy Malone, game time today, 4 410, and it'll be on Masson at 410. Kashner versus Malone. The same two teams go at it tomorrow, same game time. It'll be Gabriel Inoa versus uh, Japanese rookie pitcher Yusei Kikuchi uh, at 410, and then the Orioles fly home from what's going to be, no matter whether they win the last two games or not, a rather disappointing uh, trip out west. They lost all three to Oakland. They've now lost two in a row to the Mariners. That's five in a row on the road trip. All told, ten losses in a row by the Baltimore Orioles. And I don't know how much you've been watching the Orioles and paying attention to them. I have to be honest. Dylan Bundy, the night before last, looked absolutely brilliant for five innings in that game. And then he get, then the Orioles had a little bit of a rally in the top of the sixth inning. Couldn't play to run. Keon Broxton struck out. Big surprise with two outs and a runner in scoring position. And then Bundy retired the first batter in the sixth, then gave up a game-tying home run, and then the, the cart came off the, the wagon. And uh, four batters later, he was out of the game, and the Orioles were out of the game as well. But it was very frustrating. But I got to tell you, when I look around at the price tag, you're trying Andrew Stetka and no answer. Uh, when I look around at the um, when I look around at the pitching that the New York Yankees are trying to acquire and the cost for that pitching, in terms of whether or not the um, whether or not uh, the player is a rental, whether or not uh, the player, in the case of Madison Bumgarner or Zach Greinke, whether that player has the right to refuse a trade to the Yankees and stiff-arm the Yankees for another million dollars or something like that, uh, as is the case with Greinke and uh, Bumgarner. The Yankees are on their no-trade list. Uh, I look around at the pitchers that they could get, and yes, they could get Marcus Stroman, from Toronto, and they'd have to give up a nice package uh, for Marcus Stroman. But um, I look around at Dylan Bundy, and while I haven't been 
give it a give it a minute or two. We can we can continue to talk. It's possible he forgot. Maybe uh, if you have your cell phone, you could text him and see if he responds to that. But uh, we're trying to make our connection with Andrew Stetka. It's possible that uh, Andrew, he was on a family vacation, so it's possible that he has disappeared on us. I don't mean literally, but maybe um, some problems on the way back from the vacation, or he might have simply forgotten. But he's a young man, so he shouldn't have that problem. But talking about the Orioles, it has been a a rather frustrating um, season. Uh, There's been some interesting developments. There's been some not-so-interesting developments. There's been some really bad play. There's been some heartening play. I mean, you got to give them credit last night. You you tip your cap uh, when you get beat. But uh, Mike Leak, not the greatest pitcher in the world, but was kind of cruising along after the first inning. And then the Orioles were able to plate five runs in that sixth inning to get back in the game. Just unfortunate they couldn't do anything with the uh, Mariners' bullpen. But the Mariners' bullpen, which again seems like it's in flux, uh, they got good work last night from Corey Guerin. Uh, Al, I think it's Alvin, Ad, Alvin Adams, I think. Uh, he's a big, tall um, drink of water. And then they got the fi- final inning, Rowanis Elias, and the Orioles were unable to tie the game, and they go down by one. But getting back to what I was talking about when I gave uh, Ryan some advice on what to do about our guest, uh, Dylan Bundy, if you're, if you're the Yankees and you're looking at at the bullpen that they have with uh, Adam Adovino, um, well, Dylan Dylan Batances does not look like he's getting back any anytime soon. But they've got Tommy Canley, uh, Adam Adovino, Zach Britton, and uh, Raldus Chapman. It's a pretty darn good good bullpen. If you get five plus innings from Dylan Bundy, and I again, I have to believe that Dylan Bundy, if properly motivated and again his career has been on nothing but a kind of a tailspin with the Orioles Um, especially when things went south last year he kind of went south for a good while he picked it back up then he got injured but he has proven to be fairly durable uh, aside from that ankle turn last year his arm seems to be good he has a, an ability to strike out a number of hitters. He's usually striking out six or seven batters in his five and six inning um, uh, performances. If I'm the Yankees and I'm looking at somebody that can help me get to the next level, um, I don't have to look a lot further than the Orioles. And uh, the Orioles have a lot of holes in the organization. You start talking about uh, perhaps a Clint Frazier uh, deal. Maybe we give up Givens and and Bundy and get Clint Frazier and somebody else, maybe somebody like this Tyro Estrada. Um, now you start to talk about filling two holes that you desperately have on this team with potential regular players. Uh, could be very interesting. I, I can tell you this. Uh, I think Marcus Stroman Probably the more I read about the issues with Madison Bumgarner's contract and and the issues of the Yankees sort of stating point blank that they are not going to trade Clint Frazier for a rental, 
Um, now remember, the Orioles have uh, another season of control over Bundy. So this team that would be giving up, say, Frazier and Estrada for Givens and uh, Bundy, they would have this this the, the both of those pitchers under control for a little while longer. So it could be it could be a match. Uh, the two teams don't often trade, but uh, with Mike Elias there, I guarantee you Brian Cashman is not afraid in the middle of June of 2019. He's not afraid that his trade is going to put the Orioles back in contention. Uh, but it might be a very interesting um, combination, those two teams. Um, we'll try. We're going to try one more time to get Andrew, and then we're going to assume – Give him, give him one more try, and then we'll uh, move on from there. Uh, my MLB Power Rankings, which come out each and every week. Um, right now, these Power Rankings have the Houston Astros, and they've been number one for, let's see, go back to, I want to try and find the last week the Astros weren't. Tampa was week five. Tampa was week six. They were number one. Tampa was week seven. And the Dodgers were week eight. And then Houston took over nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. So they've been in since, uh, since week number nine. So they've been now first place for five straight weeks. I can tell you this right now, they will not be number one next week. I can tell you that. The Los Angeles Dodgers are 4-1 and one this week. The Houston Astros are 0-5. Um, the Astros who have weathered some really uh, big injury problems, not to the extent the Yankees have weathered injury problems, but losing Jose Altuve, uh, Carlos Correa, and, and George Springer all at once and not losing a beat for about three weeks, very impressive. But uh, the fact that they don't really go that deep in their starting rotation, they have Verlander, they've got, um, they've got Garrett Cole. After that, it's Brad Peacock and Wade Miley, who have both done good jobs but not dominant pitchers. Um, makes me think the Astros will be in play for somebody. Maybe they are the team – that Madison Bumgarner goes to. Um, we'll see how that plays out. But they are 0-5 this week, having been swept in Cincinnati for three games and so far 0-2 at Yankee Stadium. The Dodgers are 4-1. They will most likely take over first place. The Yankees are 5-0 this week. And again, the, twi- the Houston 0-5, Minnesota 2-3, and Atlanta, 2-2, two and two. there's a possibility that the Dodgers and Yankees could be 1-2 this week. Houston could fall all the way to 3. Tampa Bay hasn't had a good week, 1-4. Boston, 3-1. and one. They're showing signs of getting hot for the first time. The Phillies will fall most likely fall out of the top 10. And I would now say that the warm seat in the National League East has gone from Mickey Calloway to Dave Martinez all the way to Gabe Kapler, who uh, I think is in real jeopardy if his team doesn't come out of this tailspin very quickly. You are 
150% correct, Stan, in that about, in that observation. About what? Gabe about Kapler? Gabe Kapler in the hot yeah. seat. Yeah, I, I don't think... I think Matt Klintak liked him, liked his new school analytics approach. I'm not so sure that Andy McPhail was ever a big Gabe Kapler fan, and I think Andy McPhail got to witness the immediate difference that Buck Showalter made, and I'm not predicting Buck Showalter is going to be the manager of the Phillies, but a younger version of Buck Showalter is out there, and that's Joe Girardi, and I think Joe Girardi might end up being the manager of this team in the next week. We'll see how that plays out. I don't know all the all the nooks and crannies of the Phillies organization, who their coach is, their manager is at Lehigh Valley or Double A Reading, uh, or who or who Matt Klintak has a great relationship with. I know Matt Klintak was an assistant GM of the Angels when Mike Sosha was there, but I don't think that Mike Sosha is a fit for Matt, Matt Klintak. Uh, I think that Joe Girardi makes an awful lot of sense for the Philadelphia Phillies. We'll see. And he'll whip him in shape. I, I think so. I think so. If, if he can control the Yankees, he will definitely be able to control this young crop of players. Now, there is another player... That is another team that could be interested in Bill, Dylan Bundy. I'm telling you, if you watch Dylan Bundy pitch the last seven or eight times, something has changed, and I think it is the dose of analytics that he's getting, but I think he's still overcome with the fact that he has to be – he's not a guy that's going to be picture perfect on every single pitch, and he is prone because he doesn't have a 95, 96-mile-an-hour heater – when he's when he's not making perfect location pitches, he's going to give up long balls, and I think he gives up just enough long balls on a team like the Orioles that the wins are going to be exceedingly difficult to come by. Um, and uh, the combination of our offense, our defense, and our bullpen uh, in Baltimore makes me think if I'm if I'm an observant guy. And, and picturing somebody in a different scenario, I think the Phillies make some sense for Dylan Bundy. I think the Astros make some sense for Dylan Bundy. And I think the Yankees make some sense for Dylan Bundy. So that's something to keep an eye on. I think Dylan Bundy has evolved this season. And six weeks ago, five weeks ago, I wouldn't have thought that possible. I think Dylan Bundy has moved into the Orioles' number one most marketable commodity. And we'll see how it plays out. It is just about 10.30 on our show right now. Andrew Stetka did not, it's, and I'm taking the blame, I didn't do a good job at reminding him uh, midweek or, th- or Friday uh, to make sure he said he thought it was going to be good, and I blew it yesterday. By the way, a fascinating promotion. I thought I was going to have the general manager or the owner of a team out in Portland, Oregon. Now, you two guys are young. we got Brett Blum here. And we got Ryan McGittigan here. Brett, you're what, 20 years old? 21? And how old are you, Ryan? 20. About to be 21 about to be 20. in about two weeks. You guys have no idea who D.B. Cooper is, do you? Totally over my head. Okay. D.B. Cooper is someone who back in the 70s. Now, D.B. Cooper is most likely a fictitious name. He got on an airplane leaving Seattle for Portland, I believe it was, or it might have been Seattle for San Francisco. He, and I forget the details of how he rounded it up. He didn't go around robbing people, but he hijacked the plane. 
and he got $400,000 of cash, and he had a parachute, and he parachuted out of the plane somewhere near Portland, uh, out in the wilderness, and he's never been seen or heard of again. Uh, most experts who have investigated this, the FBI and all, they think there is absolutely no way he survived in the wilderness. Uh, they found bits and pieces of money, you know, over the years. But the Portland Pickles, which is a team in a collegiate hard uh, wood bat league in Portland, the, uh, uh, their franchise, they are having a D.B. Cooper Day or D.B. Cooper Night I believe it's tomorrow, and I was going to have them on. They're asking fans to show up with information on the whereabouts of D.B. Cooper. So fascinating, um, fascinating promotion. It's one of my favorite promotions that I've ever seen. So anyway, the uh, power rankings are most likely going to take quite a change this week because the teams at the top, what would you do if you had the Philadelphia Phillies 0-4 this week? They were number eight. They've got to move backwards, right? But the Cubs are just two. Number nine are just two and two. Milwaukee, number 10, 0 and 5. The Nationals, 4 and 0. The Nationals will most likely move into my power rankings top 10 this week for the first time. I got to go back to the beginning of the season. I think my first week, the Nationals were number five. Second week, they were number seven. The third week, they were number eight. By the fourth week, they were number 11. And no, they made it back to number nine in week five. In week six, they fell to 15, and they have not been back in the top 10 since. I think they're going to come in at around eight this week, depending upon how they finish up. If they would sweep the Atlanta Braves, these next two games, they could come in as high as like number seven or number eight, but they will certainly be in the top ten. Colorado probably will make an appearance in the top ten. They are three and one this week. Arizona Diamondbacks at thirteen are zero and four for the week. The Cardinals are three and two. The Indians are three and two. We'll discuss some of that when we start talking about the wild card situations with. Um, uh, Steve Phillips at 11 o'clock. Mel Antonin is going to be our guest in about seven or eight minutes. Um, and did you text uh, Steve Phillips a reminder? Not yet, but All I right. will. All right, you'll do that. Let's, uh, let's do this. Let's take our first time out of the program because I've been talking for a half an hour. And, um, again, our guest list is minus Andrew Stetka. Still coming up on the program, Mel Antonin of Masson Sports and MassonSports.com. He comes up at 1040 at 11 o'clock. Steve Phillips, the host of the leadoff spot on MLBXM Radio, joins us. Craig Heist will join us from his home in Laurel. And then at 1135, that's about 1120. And then at 1135, Kevin McAlpin will join us. He is with AM680 in Atlanta. He's a Braves beat reporter uh on that station all right so you think you your bartender knows baseball i'll bet ours knows more that's right join press box and orioles legend ross grimsley at sliders on monday july the 8th for the all-star home run derby from 7 to 9 p.m 
Ross will be behind the bar as guest bartender, serving drinks and talking baseball. And he's even buying the first 50 people to show up their first ever fancy clancy pilsner. You heard that right. The first 50 people get their first fancy clancy pilsner on Ross Grimsley. That's Monday, July the 8th at Sliders Bar and Grill across the street from Camden Yards. The Home Run Derby, Press Box, Ross Grimsley, and Fancy Clancy Beer. Doesn't get much better than that. Go to PressBoxOnline.com slash Ross for all the details. Get your tickets now for the premier high school across game of the year. The Under Armour All-American Boys and Girls Senior Game will be on June 29th at Johns Hopkins Historic Homewood Field. Log on to underarmorlacrosse.com for your chance to see the highest level of play up close and in person. The event will be shown live on ESPNU, and you might even be on TV. Go to underarmorlacrosse.com and get your tickets now. This is Ross Grimsley. Join Pressbox and myself at Sliders on Monday, July 8th for the All-Star Home Run Derby from 7 to 9 p.m. I'll be behind the bar as a guest bartender serving drinks and talking baseball. I'm even buying the first 50 people that show up their first fancy Clancy Pilsner. That's right. The first 50 of you will get your first fancy Clancy Pilsner on me. That's Monday, July 8th at Sliders Bar and Grill across the street from Camden Yards. The Home Run Derby, Pressbox, Fancy Clancy Pilsner, and me, Ross Grimsley. Go to PressBoxOnline.com slash Ross for details. Around here, there are two kinds of chicken. Royal Farms World Famous Chicken and everything else. What's the difference? Royal Farms Chicken is always fresh, never frozen. It's hand-dipped in a secret recipe of herbs and spices and cooked on the spot right in the store. Chicken from anywhere else? Who knows? Hungry for some hot and delicious chicken? Get some Royal Farms World Famous Chicken. It's one of a kind. And don't forget the Western fries. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. As the sun shines high in Birdland, that can only mean one thing. It's time for a new Orioles floppy hat and Maryland flag jersey. On Friday, June 28th, the first 20,000 fans, 21 and over, will get the 2019 Orioles floppy hat presented by Miller Lite. On Saturday, June 29th, sport your state pride just like the players on the field. The first 30,000 fans, 15 and over, will receive the Maryland flag replica jersey presented by Morgan State University. Be part of it all. Visit Orioles.com for tickets. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. As the weather heats up, the menu at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square cools down, introducing the all-new Frosted Key Lime, a fun twist on one of America's favorite pies. The new treat is a hand-spun combination of Chick-fil-A's signature ice dream, Chick-fil-A lemonade, and natural sugar-free lime flavoring made from a blend of key limes, coffer limes, and Persian limes. Frosted Key Lime gets its green color from a mix of nutrient-rich ingredients. Download the Chick-fil-A app today, place your order, and get points towards free stuff at our Chick-fil-A. Nottingham Square. Plus, if you order using your app, your food will be ready when you get there. Stop by Chick-fil-A in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center at 5198 Campbell Boulevard and tell Steve we sent you. 
This is former Trip AJ Francis, just here to let you know that I am a huge wrestling fan. I know you are too. And there's a lot of stupid idiots out there that ruin the wrestling podcast experience for everyone else. Hey, Aaron Oster from I the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone. I don't understand why people would ever cheer for Roman Reigns. He's awful. I'm sick of it. Boo! Boo, Roman Reigns! Never wrestled for Ring of Honor. Never wrestled for PWG. Never wrestled uh, in Japan. He is no Kenny Omega. Too sweet me, bro. I hate both of you. And this is why I keep stupid idiots like you on my list. This is your boy, Y2AJ, here to save you. Find Jobbing Out, the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com on SoundCloud or iTunes. Well, we are back from the live Casino Hotel Studios. That's where we broadcast uh, the Glenn Clark Radio Show, the Ross Grimsley Radio Show, and this morning's Batter Round. And each and every Saturday, the Batter Round broadcast live from the live Casino Hotel Studios. And speaking of live Casino Hotel, they've got another great concert on the schedule. Get tickets now to see Boz Skaggs out of the Blue Tour on Friday, June the 28th, that's next Friday, you can see Boz Skaggs. It's a great room, intimate, uh, and uh, incredible acoustics there. Tickets start at just $45, include $10 in free slots play. Go to livecasinohotel.com now to get your tickets, and that is a good show, no question about it. Um, interested to talk to again uh, and if you have joined us via Facebook Live, I ask you to like the show and share the show. That always helps to build up our QM audience, Ryan, uh, and that's what we are about. I already did. Did you, you did. stand? Yes, I did. There you go. And I think uh, Griffin did as well, Griffin Bass. All right, so we're The only all set. one that didn't do it was Brett, Brett Blum. Yeah. Brett, we're counting on you, man. Brett, Come on. We, we need you, man. We need you. <laughs> Brett in here training. It's amazing. All of a sudden, the interns we brought in, Griffin Bass, compliments of Gary Stein, and Brett Blum, compliments of uh, Brett Blum. Actually, Brett Blum's mother. Self-promoting. Yeah. Yeah, we have a mutual friend, and she reached out to me, and uh, we've made, we're making your summer, aren't we, Brett? Yeah, he seems very excited. Brett, a student down at the University of Maryland in the uh, School of Journalism, right? Is that the uh, Philip Merrill School School of Journalism? All right, our former editor at Pressbox, uh, kind of uh, is the program coordinator for that, and that is Caitlin Wilson. You know Caitlin? Yeah. I yeah. Has she helped you get a job yet? Not yet. Not yet, Not but yet. she will. Yeah. She will. All right, um, we are going to be joined in just a moment by Mel Antonin of Masson and MassonSports.com. Uh, he's going to join us, and we got a whole host of baseball topics to talk about with Mel, and uh, looking forward to doing just that. Again, Steve Phillips will join us right around 11 o'clock. Our Craig Heist, who is um, home with a, um, a, a house problem, he will join us at about 11.20. And then Kevin McElpin of 680 Radio in Atlanta, the beat uh, – Braves beat reporter for 680 AM in Atlanta. Joining us now is a friend and a cohort, and that is uh, a Masson cohort, and that is Mel Anton. And Mel, many thanks for joining us this Saturday morning. Hey, it's good to be with you, Stan. You know that. Um, boy, I got to tell you, we we work together two and sometimes three nights a week over at Masson on the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report, and I think we were always optimistic that the Nats had the talent 
to compete in this division, but it really looked like they had uh, let it get out of hand, but they are coming on like a banshee right now, aren't they? They really are. They're, and I, I think they're going to be fine. There's plenty of time now because they look like a completely different team. Uh, the rotation is strong. The bullpen has improved. The offense is scoring six and seven runs a game. And plays that they couldn't make uh, earlier in the season, they're making now, especially on defense. We saw what Trey Turner did at shortstop uh, Wednesday or Thursday night. I can't remember it all blurs. But last night, Victor Robles made an incredible diving catch to end the game in the ninth inning. Braves had runners on first and second and were rallying. And uh, and uh, Robles made a fantastic play. Everybody in the stadium thought the ball was going to drop for a single and, the, and it was going to be a tie game going into the bottom of the ninth. But Robles saved the day. But, but when you compare the Nats to the Phillies and the Braves, the Nats pitching is superior yep. to both those teams, and that's going to make all the difference. A question. Uh, last night, Sean Doolittle was not used to get the save. They went with William Suaro. And I heard at the very end of the game something like, well, if your number one guy isn't available, you go to the next guy. Uh, is any any major concerns with Doolittle? I didn't hear what the nature or did he just – he wasn't able to go to the post he just, last night. Apparently he wasn't able to go, and so that was that was about it. Um, but everybody in the stadium was going to go – everybody in the stadium was – was wondering, you know, why was uh, Suero pitching over Doolittle? But apparently he was just not ready to go and uh, needed a day off. And it's interesting how the Nats bullpen. It's a, it's like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Yeah, but what's interesting is they brought in, um, they brought in um, Trevor Rosenthal in his first high leverage situation, and he did fine instead of uh, instead of Tanner Rainey. Right, and then they brought in. Um, uh, they brought in uh, Suero to pitch in place of Doodle. I think they're fine, but last night is an indication that the, do- the bullpen is becoming versatile yep. and stronger. I don't think there's any issues with Sean Doolittle. Yeah, I, I, I don't, and I think it's incredible. Uh, I was really worried that Trevor Rosenthal's situation was much more psychological than mechanical. I almost likened it to sort of what Chris Davis was going through with the Orioles earlier in the season, uh, that it was all mental, but it turns out it must have been more mechanical because he's come back and he hasn't been flawless, but uh, that's very interesting that they finally put him in a, a leverage situation. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. He was, you know, he had basically a month in the minor leagues, and that's typical. I mean, it's, it's similar to, um, to uh, Greg Holland, who pitched so miserably poor, who had basically the same situation as Trevor Rosenthal, tried to come back too soon from Tommy John as a relief pitcher. That's not easy to do. It's a little, it, it, there's a little bit more rhythm and a little bit more uh, structure when a, when a starter does it, but a, a reliever doesn't always get the innings he needs to get. And, you know, you look at how Greg Holland came back uh, after a miserable three months with the Cardinals. He came back and had 24 great games for the Nats in the second half of the last season. I think the same thing can happen for Trevor Rosenthal, and what a what a what a what a Boy, that would be what like, a good, what yeah. a turn on that be for the Nats. Yeah, at this point in time, it's almost like a trade you made where you didn't have to give up a player, and all of a sudden you got a new player on your team. Uh, Mel, yeah. I wanted to ask you about from the Atlanta side. I was 
pleasantly surprised when I looked at Dallas Keuchel's numbers for first time out after not having pitched competitively. And you can pitch in all the sim games. And, and, and well, he had pitched competitively in one or two minor league starts. But I thought he, he probably, Atlanta was probably ecstatic with what they got out of him. Oh, yeah. I think he had he had two minor league starts, one in Class A and one at Double A, throwing 100 pitches in the minor league, so the endurance was there. And he wasn't Keuchel sharp. He wasn't as sharp as you expect him to be at his best, but he was better than average, just kind of like Strasburg was last night. He was enough to get by. And I think the Braves have to be um, – you know, they have to be encouraged by that. I think if Dallas Keuchel can build on what he did, uh would be great. So, um, so, so sticking before we talk some Orioles baseball, and we're talking to Mel Anthony from Masson Sports and MassonSports.com, um, I want to stick with the, with the National League East for a second. We know that uh, we talked about it a lot, that Mickey Calloway seemed to be on the hot seat, and that sort of passed. We thought that Davey Martinez was virtually on, on uh, you know, on, on like a death watch, and he survived that, and the team is thriving. The one manager in the division now, I think that the hot seat mantle is squarely on, is the Philadelphia Phillies' Gabe Kapler. Uh, I don't see Andy McPhail and Matt Klintak letting this season just fall apart, and I think they're getting – there's a critical mass building – toward that happening yeah it's it's so interesting how the phillies fell apart we've talked about how thin their starting staff is nola eikoff velasquez none of those guys have pitched well pavetta three or four of the starters that they expected to pitch well have not pitched well okay that's number one the bullpen has been incredibly thin given they had 1.7 pitchers seven relief pitchers on the disabled list so that wasn't good but one of the big key factors that is costing the Phillies big time during the month of June that we don't talk much about is the fact that Andrew McCutcheon, their yep. leadoff hitter, went out uh, for the season with an Achilles injury. I think it was an Achilles injury. Yep. And um, ever since he's been out, the leadoff spot has been terrible to the point where they moved Bryce Harper into the leadoff spot Thursday in Washington. But uh, Cesar Hernandez tried to lead off, and he couldn't get the offense going. Uh, Gene Segura was in a huge slump. They moved him up to the leadoff. He was hitting well in the right. middle of the order, and then they moved him up to leadoff, and he couldn't do the job. Now it looks like Bryce Harper. But the but the Phillies have fallen apart on, on three levels, a thin bullpen, injured, uh, a rotation that's not effective, and now their run production is falling off the map because they don't have any leadoff hitters. We're talking with Mel Anton in a mass in sports, and Mel – if they pulled the trigger, knowing Matt Klentak the way you do and you've observed and known Andy McPhail for a long time, would it seem like Joe Girardi might be the best fit there, or is there somebody I'm not thinking about? No, I think Joe Girardi would be a good – I think that's I think that's an excellent choice. And to be honest with you, they haven't really thought about who's in their system and who might come yep. up. Yep. I think the players are reacting to Gabe Kapler. Remember, he was a little bit reinventing the wheel when he yep. started. But he's settled down, and I think they like his new new age philosophies on mm-hmm. training and, 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 and approaches to the game. I think the players are getting into that because they're a younger group of players. But it'd be pretty hard to manage. I guess what would happen is if the Phillies thought, a new, you know, if the Phillies thought that a new manager, even if, yeah, what I'm trying to say is when the season is going bad, right. 
the manager gets fired regardless if he's doing a good job or not. And I think in this case, it's hard to say that Gabe Kapler deserves to be fired when you consider everything that has gone wrong with the team. But maybe a new manager would make a difference. But I think in this case, it, it wouldn't make any difference when you consider how many things have gone wrong for the Phillies. Let's take a look at what could make a difference for them. I'm looking around, and I don't know if you agree with this or not, and it's some—it's something of recent vintage in my head. I think for the Orioles that they're, the number one trade commodity they have is not Trey Mancini because I just don't see that a fit where Trey's going to be so much in demand by somebody. But I'm looking around at the dearth of starting pitching, and I think that Dylan Bundy – Despite, again, the problems in the sixth inning the other night, uh, I think he's evolved into the Orioles' best trade chip. I agree, Stan. I think that's a good point. Uh, Mancini is – Mancini – it's interesting that when uh, the Yankees picked up Encarnacion, apparently the, the Rays and the Astros were interested in Mancini, but I don't really see why. I can understand why Tampa Bay would need an upgrade at first base. Right. But they wouldn't need an upgrade in the outfield. Mancini wouldn't wouldn't fit in there. And I, I don't see him going to Houston, although everybody thinks he should. But I agree with you. The way Dylan Pundy has pitched in the last couple of months, it's it's a very it's very impressive. It's very attractive to a team that understands that he's gone from a power pitcher to a command pitcher. And I agree with you. I think Dylan Bundy would be a, a, a valuable commodity on the trade market, not only because he's pitching well, but because I got a couple years left of uh, control. That always makes a big difference as well. So Dylan Bundy could be a trade chip, a big trade chip, the the biggest bit trade chip. And I think if Michael Gibbons just shows any positive signs at all, uh, given that every 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 contender needs a reliever, I think Michael Gibbons. Uh, would be an excellent trade chip for somebody. You know, it's interesting, and I, I started earlier in the program, uh, our first guest and I had today, Andrew Stetka, we had a miscommunication, and it's it was just as much my fault not reminding him because he was coming back from a vacation. But I started conjecturing what teams would be the fit for Dylan Bundy, and the Phillies seem like a fit, the Astros seem like a fit, and the Yankees seem like a fit to me. I want to ask you a question. If they could agree on the type of players involved in the deal, would Brian Cashman have any qualms about trading within the division? I don't think he would. No, I don't think so. Not if you could get somebody like that. I think what the the Yankees are thinking about is what, what it would take to get Madison Baumgartner. They got Clint Fraser in their minor league system. You know, he's been demoted to the minor leagues. Good hitter, needs some work defensively, but I think – you know, I think to answer your question, I don't think Brian Cashman would be afraid to pick up Dylan Bundy. I think the fear would be the other way around. But I think if there's a deal to be made with the Yankees, fine, go ahead and do it. I think the Yankees are are focused on Madison Bumgarner. They've got outfielders in their system. They've got a surplus of outfielders. And San Francisco might be the one rebuilding team that doesn't necessarily need young pitching. Every team needs young pitching, particularly right. rebuilding teams. But the Giants are flushed that way. And that's why you kind of think that Bumgarner might end up in Atlanta or end up in the Yankees because both teams have good young both teams have good young outfielders that could be traded. But to answer your question, I kind of veered off here. Um, I don't think I don't think the Orioles should worry about trading him within the division. Yeah, and I don't think the Yankees would worry about that either. All right, it's interesting. I've come sort of full circle, you know, from sitting with me a couple nights a week that I thought Bumgarner to the Yankees was a fait accompli. I was reading an article about it the other day, 
And again, the the combination of him appearing to be a rental at this point in time, although I think if the Yankees got him and he pitched well, it's a no-brainer that they would re-sign him. Uh, But but the combination of the fact that he appears to be a rental and he also has that no-trade clause that blocks a trade to the Yankees means it's it, it, the trade can't be cleanly done, and I think teams like the Twins and Houston now, and maybe the Phillies now appear more likely in the Bumgarner uh, scenario. And Granky, the deal seems like awfully convoluted. Uh, you know, so much money left in his contract. Yeah, Granky's pitching well, but you wouldn't have to give up much because you'd be mm-hmm. taking up a big contract. Yeah, yeah, you make excellent points all the way around. Arizona. What? is kind of teetering here. Do they do they want to keep Granky? Do they want to keep Robbie Ray with the idea that they might have a one shot they might have a shot at being a wild card team? Is that worth keeping all those players? I mean this was supposed to be a rebuilding year for Arizona. But uh you know they're 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 they got a chance to be a wild card team and so Arizona's gonna to have to decide what they want to do. Is it worth it to keep all that money for for a one game one game in the postseason? I don't know. But yeah, uh Bumgardner is interesting because his ERA is not classic Madison no, Bumgardner, but his not... strikeout-to-walk ratio yeah. is very good. I think, Stan, he would be similar to Cole Hamels last year. Mm-hmm. Remember when Cole Hamels was pitching with the Texas Rangers, team that was out of the race, his ERA was up over four, he wasn't pitching very well, but he caught fire when he went to a team that had a chance to win. And talking about the Cubs, and he hasn't turned back since. I think the same that, scenario could happen with Madison Bumgarner. And I think that's the scenario that is quietly developed with Dylan Bundy. I think he's a little bit overwhelmed by the losing in Baltimore and that he has to be picture perfect on almost every pitch to win a game for the Orioles. I look around and think of him with Houston, or or the Yankees and think with the the way those teams play defense and the way they bash, he would be much more relaxed and you'd you'd get a whole different level of performance out of him. Yeah, I think that's yeah, I think there's something to be said for that. You know, um, again, we've seen it with Cole Hamels. I think we'd see it with Madison Bumgarner and and Bundy. I know I know what he means to the Orioles franchise, but. I think anybody on that team, even at Trey Mancini, uh, has to be considered a trade ship at this point because if you think about three years down the road, Mancini will be 31 or 32. I don't yeah. know how old Bundy will be in three years, but you know they need to stockpile more than anything. But, yeah, Bundy's going to be interesting. Everybody talks about Trevor Bauer, Marcus Stroman, and yep. Aaron Sanchez, Madison Baumgartner, Robbie Ray. But Dylan Bundy might, I might end up being yeah. really uh, – Really a good, uh, really marketable he, he, uh, pitcher if he continues to do what he's done. He could be a starting version of Ryan Presley, you know? We're yeah. a good team. <laughs> can, you know, it's interesting. Uh, before we go, I uh, let's not talk Orioles today because there's really not a lot you can say positively, and that's not the reason we're avoiding it. I'm more interested, you and I haven't really talked the, at length about the Manny Machado umpiring situation um, your thoughts on the umpires union kind of going so public and and it there's no name attached to who wrote that tweet yet. yeah yeah I agree with you I mean we talked about this on the mid-atlantic sports report and I think we all agreed that the umpires overreacted with their wording and the way they expressed themselves in the press release afterward 
But having said that, I think they've got a good point. Manny was out of bounds for throwing his helmet and yeah. then throwing his bat. Yeah. He threw his bat after after giving him after yelling at the umpire and kind of getting out his frustration. He then threw his bat very maliciously. I think the umpires have a good point, but I think I think the way they express themselves was. Yeah, uh, I just thought I don't know why I, they did it when they did. They could have done it behind closed doors. Yeah, and made a stronger point, I think, because I mean, the issue became how they expressed themselves, not the fact that Manny. I I, I can't excuse Manny for throwing a bat. Right. I, I can understand, you know, pounding it into the ground or something like that, but throwing a bat that hard against uh, against the the you know against the fence there uh, where fans are and bat boys run. I don't see that. I think the umpires have a good point there. Did, did you think that, the, you know, we've all watched baseball for a long time, and what used to be the most colorful part of baseball has essentially, I won't say it's entirely been taken out, but the manager arguing with the umpire. It was something Billy Martin, Sparky Anderson, Earl Weaver, of course, Lou Pinella. It's always been a part of the lure. But do you, have you ever once thought of it as a dangerous situation, a la workplace violence, where people come in with guns? I thought it it almost trivialized uh, a serious workplace issue. Yeah, I agree. I mean, managers have bumped before, bumped an umpire before, but there's never really been any serious threats. So I think that's a good point. And uh, you know, you and I talked about this. You, we both believe that uh, the electronic strike zone is coming in. Yep. And uh, I don't I don't think it's a good idea. I like the human element of the game. I like I like that. I think we're going to miss something if we do, but I understand that the electronic strike zone is on its way and progress is here. But yeah, to make to answer your point, uh, I have never seen really any violent violent confrontation outside of maybe kicking some dirt on the umpire's shoes. You know, it's one of the more beautiful things about the game of baseball is you can you can argue like cats and dogs the next night. The next day, you pretty much have to go out and exchange the lineup card, you know, uh, or the players. They're brushing elbows with the umpire that they argued with the day before. Um, I've never thought of that as a, a workplace violence issue. No, no, I don't think so either. I, I think... I, I think it adds to the game. I think that I think we'll be missing something if if players and managers can't argue. I understand that you know you you almost can't not have instant replay. Right. But at the same time, the human element is part of the game. The imperfection is what makes it fun. I think that we're too wrapped up and too critical of everything that's going on. I mean, so many times broadcasters and and everybody blames the umpires. A team can go one for ten with runners in scoring position, get beat by one run, and everybody blames the umpire because he didn't make a call in the eighth inning the way they thought it should be called. I think we're overly critical, and I think the imperfection of the game is what sometimes makes it is what makes it so beautiful. Yep. I don't I don't know if there's a perfect system that allows everything to be. I don't know if there's a system that allows everything to be perfect. Maybe there is. I'm not against progress, but I worry sometimes. All right, Mel, you heading out to Nats Park tonight? I'll be there. All right. Listen, I'll see you Monday night at uh, Masson. All, All right. right. Thanks, Dan. Thank you very much for coming on. Always you appreciate bet. the time. Mel Antonin of Masson, MassonSports.com. We're going to make our connection with um, Steve Phillips in just a moment. Uh, we're doing that right now. But I will remind you that you are listening to the Bat Around, and it's broadcasting 
from the Live Casino Hotel Studios. That's where you can listen to Glenn Clark Radio every day, Monday through Friday from 10 to 12. Glenn and Kyle with their unique uh, cutting-edge brand of sports talk. It's all live from the Live Casino Hotel Studio, as is the Ross Grimsley Show, which comes to you Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. If you are watching uh, the bat around right now uh, on on Facebook or Facebook Live, please like and share the program. Orioles will play the uh, Orioles will play the uh, uh, Seattle Mariners today at 4:10 this afternoon. 4:10 this afternoon, the Mariners and the uh, Orioles, and again it will be Tommy Malone pitching left-hander. Veteran left-hander sort of gets by with guile and gumption rather than real stuff. Tommy Malone will be on the hill for the Mariners, and the Orioles will send Andrew Kashner uh, out to the hill to try and break a 10-game losing streak. Uh, after last night's game, the Orioles did option out left-hander uh, Sean Gilmartin, so they are a pitcher down right now. They've got Rodgers, Yacobonis, Givens, Scott, Klein, Castro, Blyer, Armstrong, Enoa, Kashner, and Bundy. Uh, Means is on the IL probably for another four, four or five days, and uh, hopefully he'll be fine to make his next start. But Sean Gilmartin, who was used last night as the opener, uh, will uh, will be pitching uh, – um, I mean, he will not be pitching for the Orioles. He's been sent back – to uh, Norfolk. No no connection with Steve Phillips. All right. Do you want to go to Andrew? He's available. Let's go to Andrew uh, right now. That's a good good call. Give me Let's a couple say, seconds. Yeah, that's a good call. All right. And we'll try. Actually, actually let's wait five minutes. Let, he actually, go. Steve actually just texted me back. And he said? He said, okay. All right. So I'll give him a call. Yep. I think uh, I had a feeling he was okay. It's it's interesting when you get all these guests and you're juggling the times and everything, and they can be a minute off. I hate when guests offer, they say, uh, give me a number to call you on. I never like that. I always like to have a phone number to call the guests. Uh, and we're appreciative of our guests they, they are what make the show. I mean, Craig Heist and I do a pretty good job at uh, running this show, but they are the ones that really make, uh, make this show happen, and we appreciate Mel Antonin on earlier. Andrew Stetka, we will reschedule. But joining us right now is a longtime Major League General Manager. He's now the host of the leadoff spot on XM, uh, MLB XM Radio, and that is Steve Phillips. Steve, thank you for a few minutes. I really appreciate it. That's my pleasure. Good to be with you. Steve, uh, I heard you the other day. I always like listening to you, and especially when you're on with Eduardo uh, and, and CJ. I like CJ, too. But uh, you drive that show. You do a great job hosting that show. And I found us of a like mind on the electronic umpiring uh, uh, issue. And I especially was excited that I had somebody that I respect like you, Steve, that had a vision for what it would do to the pace of play. Uh, Once you took out all the BS with players, facial expressions, getting out of the box because they're griping about a, a call... Could I ask you to discuss what how you feel about that? 
Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I, I look at that and think that, that um, you know, the electronic umpire, first of all, what I, my belief in is, is the general manager, the thing that always got me frustrated was, particularly when it comes to balls and strikes, was the 1-1 pitch, right? The 1-1 pitch is such a critical pitch in at bat. Uh, and if an umpire makes the wrong call and it becomes 1-2 and two instead of 2-1, and one, it completely changes the dynamic of the at-bat. It can change the ultimate dynamic of a game. And so I've always been in favor of I want whatever the result is on the field to, you know, that actually happens to be the result that plays out in the game. And even if it meant that it would cause me to lose the game, I'm willing to do that. I just want what actually happens to be to lead to the result, and so I'm in favor of the automated strike zone. I think it, it, you know, one, it would get it right. Two, I think that as a hitter, it comes down to a level of acceptance that there's no more debate, there's no more argument, and there's nobody to argue with. You can shake your head, but you're not going to turn out an umpire. You're not going to step out of the batter's box. Right? There's nobody to disagree with because the umpire's not the one making the call. He's just signaling whatever the automated system told him that the, it was a ball or a strike. I think the pitchers who normally don't like a pitch, they get it, they stare at the umpire, they step off the mound, they walk around the mound, they have to regroup. Yeah, I think it changes the whole energy of the game, and I, I do. I think that affects pace of play. Now it's a matter of, okay, it's a ball, it's a strike, okay, we move on to the next pitch. Uh, because there's nobody to debate about it, and, there's, and there is no debate because we got it right. I think it's the same thing in tennis. When they, you know, you watch tennis and they go to that uh, the system where you know, the, the, the cameras tell you whether the ball's in or it's out, and there's nobody to argue with, and people aren't walking around sort of debating it all. So I think it would make a big difference in the game, pace of play. But also, I just want it right. I want I want the result to be what the actual result is of the actions on the field. You know, it's interesting, Steve. I've been a proponent of this for about four or five years pretty strongly. And the more video replay enters the game and we allow – now, video replay was brought in – to, to fix a real problem when egregious mistakes are made. But we've now taken it to where a guy steals second base and his foot comes off the bag as he's getting up and the guy keeps his glove on and now they video replay that and they say, you know what, he was out because he took his foot off. We're willing to, to accede to that, but yet we're allowing right now a different perspective of the strike zone to enter the game every night. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, and here's the thing. Like, you know, when I was a general manager, when we first started voting on, on review and on, you know, re- replay, uh, and, you know, they take a vote, and three of us raised our hands the first time in favor of it. And Bowden and I were one of them. I don't remember who the third was, but three of us. And then the next year we voted on it, and probably 10 people. Then it was half. And then you right. seen it sort of grow. Uh, and, and, and here's the thing. Like, I'm okay that it turned into, you know, in some ways, the guy goes, goes off the, the base, and we can tell if, if that's the actual result on the field, then I want that to be the result yeah. on the field. Again, it, it fits into my, I want consistency all around it, and, and I'm with you on the strike zone. It, it should fall into the same category. that people say, well, you know, you're taking the human element out of it. I don't care. That's right. not what I'm playing for. I'm right. playing for the players to play and the result to be the result. The one thing that, that review and replay is going to be, think about how many plays get overturned. In the history of baseball, how different might it have been, could it have been, if actually calls had been done right? Right. Because the, the, the number of calls every single day that get overturned are profound when you add those up. And so the whole element of the game of baseball would be different if we actually had review 
going back in history. You know, the other thing, I, I can't tell you how many times I saw somebody like, and I'm using him as an example, Kevin Gosman, get squeezed on one pitch, and it ended up taking his pitch count from – you know, second inning, he'd be out with 28 pitches. All of a sudden, he's got to throw 18 more pitches. The guy fouls off four pitches. He walks a guy, and suddenly he's 18 pitches. I find the the whole thing about limiting innings pitched with pitchers to also factor into this that, you know, every throw that a pitcher makes has a value to him in terms of his arm and its uh, ability to respond and return uh, to perform. And I think that uh, all too often we see pitchers really get squeezed out of games because they're forced to throw a lot more pitches because one pitch was missed. Yeah, no doubt. And, and I, you know, people say, well, what's one pitch? It, it be, it's that it leads to others, and that's really the, the issue of it. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of it. It's no insult to umpires at all. I don't mean it that way yep. in any way, shape, or form. They're being asked to do something that is impossible it has to be perfect on every pitch. Uh, and, and the idea that, that you can't be, uh, and the, the fact that we should just accept it, to me, just doesn't make any sense. That, you know, well, the human element, the human element of it, we should just accept that that's the case. I don't, I don't understand why. Because when you put as much as it takes into building a team, uh, playing 162 games in 187 days, the preparation of the offseason, of putting together a roster of talent and everything else, of going into spring training, the, the idea that, that a mistake by somebody who's completely unaffiliated with the teams that are involved playing the game, uh, that their mistake could cost either one of the teams, you know, uh, a loss based upon, in, in, after all the blood, sweat, and tears it takes to put it together, just doesn't seem right to me. And if we can avoid it, why wouldn't we avoid it? I, and, and I think that's part of it for me, is that, that I know what it takes to do it, to put the team together, to play the season, the grind of it all, of, of all of the injuries and overcoming it, putting rosters together, and, and, and you know, to feel like, you know what, we're right now, we're hanging in there by the skin of our teeth trying to, to, to survive, and we got a chance to win a game right here, but we don't because the umpire made a mistake. Uh, and not, not intentionally, just because mm-hmm. we're human, it, it, it is one thing that I, I can't rationalize because we can do a better job and if I have to try to do the best I can, why can't the game do the best they can to sort of police right, wrong, and, and, and all of the decisions that are made during the game? We're talking with Steve Phillips, ex-New York Mets general manager, now the uh, host of uh, the leadoff spot on MLB XM Radio. Steve, uh, wanted to ask you, the Machado incident this past week, which which led you to be talking about this, you and Eduardo to be talking about it, which led me to call you to talk about this, is there an opportunity within all the ugliness on both sides here that Manfred really says, you know what, we really have to move on this issue because it's starting to get both sides are entrenched in their opinion and we got to move on from this. Yeah, so, so, you know, Manny Machado argues with Bill Wilkie, the home plate umpire, yep. uh, doesn't like the calls and, and goes nuts, right? Throws yep. his bat back to the bat stop, throws his helmet down to the ground, and, and had some, you know, what seemed to be or appeared to be unintentional, incidental sort of brushing the arm of the umpire. Now, I'm completely in favor of rules that protect umpires from mm-hmm. physical contact from players. That, and I think we all would agree with that. 
just as I uh, think there are rules, and there should be, and there are rules that protect players from physical contact from umpires. Uh, you know, but the issue of you know a player getting that violently angry over a missed ball and strike, I think, points to that we need to address the automated strike zone because players take it that seriously. Yep. They look at every at bat as that important during the course of the game, and for teams to you know to, for us to dismiss and say, well, you know, the umpire missed it, you got to learn, you just have to learn how to deal with that. Sure, I don't disagree that that there's got to be better emotional control, right. but that's correcting the the reaction to what is the the pink elephant, which is the mistake that was made in the ball and the strikes that take place in the game. So, you know, I, I know this that that the commissioner is a forward thinker, yep. and I believe that at some point he'll be willing uh, to go to the automated strike zone. I know they all want to make sure the technology's right. They all want to make sure that that when we do it, that we do it right. But uh, I would be pushing so hard if I were in the commissioner's office, to make sure that we're getting to that point because yep. I think it would be in the best interest of the game. Hey, I want to spend a couple minutes real quick, a uh, couple different topics around the, the game of, the, of baseball right now, Major League Baseball. Uh, Gabe Kapler, is he on the hot seat in Philadelphia? Uh, you know, I don't think he is. I, I think that, that, you know, second-year manager, uh, I just I can't imagine – uh, that he's going to be that quick on it. You know, it's the guys who hired him are still in place there. Um, you know, you you look at some of the, the, the issues that they've had. They've had some levels of injuries that certainly have impacted them. Uh, they've had some underperformance from some other players. Uh, you know, I, I think the issue of Segura's hustling and, and that whole thing, uh, you know, people are celebrating that, you know, punishment isn't the right way to do it. i, I got to tell you, the, the, the biggest motivator for players is playing time. Mm -hmm. uh, you can take money, but that doesn't hurt them because the most you can find a guy is five hundred dollars, and you know when they're making you know thirteen million, five hundred dollars is spit in the ocean. But taking away playing time, uh, or or you know in some cases pulling a guy from the game and, and it leading to embarrassment for the player, not the manager embarrassing the player, the player embarrassing himself by the lack of hustle. Uh, I think that there should be some punitive nature when players don't hire, and that that is take you out of the game. And until you're willing to, to start to give us the effort that we're expecting from everybody else, I would take you out. So, so I know people have celebrated. You know, some are saying, "Well, the right thing to do, the old school way, is to punish guys." I, I don't know. I, I maybe I am old school in some ways, but I, I think if a guy's not hustling, uh, then he doesn't deserve to be on the field because he's disrespecting the game. So, uh, and I like these to grow as a player, but mm -hmm. I know this Charlie Manuel back in the day pulled Jimmy Rollins from games. Jimmy Rollins, who was the star of the sure. team. When he didn't hustle a few times, Charlie Manuel said, come on out, sit down next to me. You're not hustling, you're not playing. And it sent the message. And I think in the long run, there was a level of respect. That, that Because when you make that decision, it's not exclusively for that player. No, it's you're for the benefit of the team. The other yeah. 24 players, and you're sending that message to the 250 minor league players in the organization about what is acceptable and what's not. And that if you don't live up to expectations, there are consequences for that. So... Uh, so, but I, you know, I think there's different ways of doing it, and I'm not uh, pig-headed to think my way is the only way. Uh, and so, I'm not. I don't think Gabe Kapler should lose his job at all right now. Uh, I think that in order to, I think he will. Uh, and I think that that they've got to find some different inspiration, and they need their good players to start to play well consistently in order for them to be competitive. The Nats will they get a deal done with Anthony Rendon before July 31st? 
Boy, I, I guess, you know, if they've been aggressively pursuing it and they still don't have it done, then it makes me worry if it's going to get done. No. Now, it is Scott Boris who likes to slow play negotiations uh, and who would prefer his players to go to free agency to maximize the value in the open market. Um, so if I'm the Nationals, I make every effort. I'll, I'll at some point say this is my best offer, uh, and I hope you take it. And if you don't, then we're going to trade you. But I think that they have to trade him if they don't sign him. You cannot let him just walk the free agency for draft picks. They've got to make a deal. He has real value. He's a significant star. Uh, and, and here's the thing. If you don't get him signed, and I, you know, July 20th is the date. If you don't get it done, then I'm going to trade you between the 20th and 31st. I'm trading uh, Max Scherzer, too. Because uh, there's, the likelihood is you're not signing Rendon back after the season either. If you can't get it done now, you're not signing him after the season. There's nobody out there in free agency that can say, okay, if we don't get Rendon, we'll get this guy. Nobody. Uh, and therefore, uh, you know, I think that it means that they're not going to win uh, next year. if Because if they're not winning this year with Rendon, they're not going to win next year without him. Uh, and then I trade Max Scherzer because you can maximize a big return. And for Rendon and Scherzer, you can be back competing and being a playoff contender in two years. Let me uh, ask you: Could Dylan Bundy? I know, I know you. You probably don't watch Oriole games as close as I do because you're, uh, you know, you're you're touching base with every team. Dylan Bundy, on the face of it, his record is three and nine this season, and his earned run average is four point five nine, I think. Uh, but his last nine starts, he's th- uh, th- he's three and six. The team's result of three and six in fifty two innings. His his uh, ERA is three forty six, and he's given up forty seven hits, fourteen walks over fifty two innings. So it's probably about one point two. Could Dylan Bundy be a starter's version of Ryan Presley this year? Because I ask, because it's easy to sit here and go, ah, they should trade the Yankees, should trade for Stroman or Madison Bumgarner, Zach Granke. Those deals can be complicated. Is there a team out there that Dylan Bundy could help? Yeah, so I think that he's in that category of uh, somebody might target him. You know, Zach Wheeler's a guy with the Mets mm-hmm. who, you know, had some good numbers in the past and, and has had classes this year but hasn't been consistent. Uh, and But somebody could close their eyes and dream that he could, you know, we could fix him. Now, my experience is, now, Presley was somewhat, now, Presley was pitching well for Minnesota. Right. He just pitched amazingly well when he went to Houston. My experience is typically when you trade for somebody, you tend to get what they've been when you traded for them. You know, sometimes you can make a tweak here and there, and maybe it's the, the, the light that goes on. Uh, so Bundy would be a guy that I think is on that list of other pitchers out there that people will look at. And, you know, Andrew Castor is probably on that list, and Wheeler's on that list, and Mike Leak's on that list, and Tanner Rourke is on that list. Uh, but the return for the Orioles will be minimal. Because you're trading for a guy who, for most playoff contenders, you know, guys like Kastner and Leak mm-hmm. and, and Bundy, you know, they're, they're probably sliding in at the number four, number five spot in those teams' rotations. They're not getting them to be the guy to get them over the hump. They're hoping they can fix them. But it's a low-risk, potential high-reward, and that means not much of a return on a deal for the Orioles. You're, at best, probably getting a second-tier prospect maybe a third tier prospect as well but it's not so the question is is it worth it uh but somebody might have some interest in him because i agree i love his competitiveness and he does have some pitches that if they sequence properly 
could make them more effective. All right, last question real quick. Uh, when Theo Epstein took over the Cubs, he hired Dale Sfame to be his manager, and I can't remember. I think Dale lasted one year. They decided he wasn't the right guy for the rebuild. It was Richie Renteria, and Richie came in and managed two years, and, they said, and then Madden became available. Uh, watching Brandon Hyde, will Brandon Hyde, and I'm a fan of his, but will he be the manager when the Orioles are good again? Uh, yeah, I think he's got a shot. I like Brandon Hyde a lot. Yeah, I, I, I do you too. Know, we get to interview him every couple of weeks. Uh, I think he's, I think he's made of the right stuff. I think he's to, there's, there's going to take a level of acceptance and endurance to be part of this rebuild in Baltimore in patience. Uh, and yet you can't accept, uh, you know, losing either. And so it's a fine line to walk, of understanding that you're going to lose, not accepting it. But now, not putting a beat down on the players who are already getting beaten down just by the result. And people think, ah, you know, it's a big deal. No, it's a, it is a big deal. Uh, and continuing to try to develop and get players to improve while they're continuously losing is not always an easy thing. Uh, and so uh, I do. I think he's. I think he is a high character guy. Yeah. Uh, from the from getting to know him and talk to him, uh, I think he's 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 really the right type of rebuilding manager. Uh, and he's been part of winning teams, too, mm-hmm. which I think at least opens the possibility that he could be that guy that could transition from the losing team to the rebuilding team to the potential competitive team to a playoff team and still manage every type of roster. It's inter- it's an interesting topic, though. Hey, Steve, I really appreciate the time today on a day off. No problem. You got it. My pleasure. All right. Thank you very much. All right. We're going to take a timeout. We'll remind you we're broadcasting from the Live Casino Hotel Studios. And it's time for me to tell you a little bit about the Costas Inn, located 4100 North Point Boulevard. Monday night is ribs night. Tuesday night is crab cake night. Wednesday night is steak night. Thursday night is lobster night. See how I remembered that? And Friday, Pete and Nick put together a whole bevy of specials uh, that will whet your appetite. Great family atmosphere at the Costas Inn. And don't forget, they've got the best steamed crabs around, the best crab cakes around, and also the best crab soup around. It's the Costas Inn. Craig Heist and I endorse it. We don't agree on much, Craig Heist and I, but we agree that the Costas Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard is the place to go for a great dining experience. As the sun shines high in Birdland, that can only mean one thing. It's time for a new Orioles flappy hat and Maryland flag jersey. On Friday, June 28th, the first 20,000 fans, 21 and over, will get the 2019 Orioles flappy hat presented by Miller Lite. On Saturday, June 29th, sport your state pride just like the players on the field. The first 30,000 fans, 15 and over, will receive the Maryland flag replica jersey presented by Morgan State University. Be part of it all. Visit Orioles.com for tickets. This is Ross Grimsley. Join Pressbox and myself at Sliders on Monday, July 8th for the All-Star Home Run Derby from 7 to 9 p.m. I'll be behind the bar as a guest bartender serving drinks and talking baseball. I'm even buying the first 50 people that show up their first Fancy Clancy Pilsner. That's right. The first 50 of you will get your first Fancy Clancy Pilsner on me. That's Monday, July 8th at Sliders Bar and Grill across the street from Camden Yards. The Home Run Derby, Pressbox, Fancy Clancy Pilsner, and me, Ross Grimsley. Go to PressBoxOnline.com slash Ross for details. 
Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Get your tickets now for the premier high school across game of the year. The Under Armour All-American Boys and Girls Senior Game will be on June 29th at Johns Hopkins Historic Homewood Field. Log on to underarmorlacrosse.com for your chance to see the highest level of play up close and in person. The event will be shown live on ESPNU and you might even be on TV. Go to underarmorlacrosse.com and get your tickets now. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's a special double issue celebrating Ed Reed's upcoming induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The legendary safety detailed his odyssey from an unheralded prospect out of New Orleans, Louisiana, to a Hall of Fame career in Baltimore, and his commitment to both hometowns. Plus, the teammates, coaches, family members, and friends that know Ed Reed the best share their favorite stories about him ahead of his induction. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer here from Glenn Clark Radio. Kyle, you know, I'm regularly asked by folks about how we get so many great guests on our show. Well, I, I work really hard to get some of the biggest names on with us. I know you do, and the world recognizes it, but I want to challenge you to try to get some even bigger guests on the show moving forward. Okay, who do you have in mind? Well, nothing crazy. Like, what about Tim Tebow? Oh. Or, or how about Leonardo DiCaprio or, or Lady Gaga, maybe Barack Obama? Uh, you know what? I'll settle for Wilt Chamberlain. But I think he died. What? Yeah, like 20 years ago. So that's a maybe? Maybe Java Chamberlain. Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio and Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. No one wants to talk to Java Chamberlain. If trying something new was a bad idea, many of us would still be wearing polyester. This message is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. You may know us for our great burgers and wings, but Glory Days pros mix it up with the fresh cedar plank salmon, cut in-house and grilled to perfection, or sizzling and juicy steaks, meaty ribs, we have handcrafted salads and sandwiches by our talented chefs, change tastes good, we promise. Experience the Glory Days Grill menu in all its glory. Glory Days Grill, great food. Good sports. And we're back on the battle round. Craig Heist is going to join us momentarily. First, I need to tell you about the Aberdeen Ironbirds. That's right. Tickets are on sale now. Their season has started. Let me give you a few dates to pencil in. On Friday, July the 19th, it's Steam Crabs Night. No, not like every night out there at an Aberdeen Ironbirds game where you can eat steamed crabs. The team will change their name that night to the steamed crabs, so you'll want to be there for that. It's always a special occasion, but remember, you can eat steamed crabs at the game, too. Wizard Night is Friday, July 26th, or how about Star Wars Night, Friday, August the 9th. Every Friday, there's fireworks. There's also fireworks on July the 3rd. This is your summer of 2019. Make the Ironbirds a part of it. Visit ironbirdsbaseball.com for the complete promotional schedule. Again, Ironbirds Baseball. Make it part of your summer 
of 2019. Joining us right now is Craig Heist. Craig, uh, how are you doing? I'm good. Stan, what's going on? Uh, not much. Not much. You got a you got a hot baseball team you're covering down south of here. Well, yeah, they won five straight and they're rolling pretty good. And uh, you know, you go you go back to say I guess well, this is June, so you go back to May 26th or so, and uh, you know they they won 17 and and dropped seven to that point. So they're they're in pretty good run right now. And a lot of it's due to their starting pitching, but the offense has gotten hot. The bullpen has calmed down again. They got three scoreless out of the pen last night, and they including including fine. including they, an inning by Trevor Rosenthal in a leverage no, situation. No, no, a third of an inning by Trevor oh, Rosenthal, and he was okay. put in a high leverage situation last night with the tie run at second base in a 4-3 game with two outs. Okay. Uh, Dave Martinez brought him in, and, and uh, he was able to get the final out. So uh, you, may be see, you may be seeing that a little bit more out of uh, Dave Martinez using Trevor Rosenthal a little bit more, uh, you know, to try to get him back to the way he used to be. Yeah, that would take a lot of pressure off of Tanner Rainey, who has uh, arrived and done an incredible job. But you can, you can sense that maybe – uh, Rosenthal's availability for some meaningful situations would would give the bullpen an entirely different dynamic now. Well, yeah, absolutely, and it would lengthen it too, and and it would it would allow Davey Martinez to to mix and match more uh, with an extra guy. I mean, Rainey's been fabulous. Wander Suero was used in the ninth inning last night, and he had he was coming off two straight three up three down performances. Uh, he got in a little bit of trouble last night with a couple runners on defense, bailed him out. The uh, great catch by Victor Robles coming in from right field uh, and sliding, uh, just avoiding Brian Dozier going out, uh, but sliding and making that catch to end the ball game. And I mean, this was a this was a game last night, Stan, where Steven Strasburg didn't have his great stuff. He had a little bit of command issues. He walked three, he struck out five. Uh, but he kept them in the game and battled through six innings and uh, gave up the three runs. But uh, uh, again, you know, when if you have your bullpen, they can pick you up like that, and that's something that didn't happen the first six weeks of this season. We're talking with Craig Heist, who covers both the Orioles and the Nationals, but he's really affiliated uh, deeply with the Nationals, so he watches that team very closely. Uh, Craig, uh, I brought this up on Masson three series ago. I looked at the next seven series of the Phillies, the Mets, the Braves, and the Nats, and mm-hmm. I was really taken with the, the the sequence of games coming up after this Atlanta series and predicted that the Nats had a great opportunity to get back into this thing in a big way. The next four series after Atlanta are Miami, Kansas City, Detroit, and Miami. You can't yeah. pick a better 12, 14 game stretch where you might be able to go 10 and 4, 11 and 3. Well, that's true, but by the same token, they don't play the game on paper. They you got to go out and earn it, and if there was ever a game uh that proved that to me more than anything else was last week at home when the Diamondbacks were in town and uh Steven Strasburg was taking the hill uh to try to give the Nats the lead in the series on the Saturday. And he was facing uh, the rookie pitcher that's uh, from uh, Herndon, Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, or down near Ashburn. And 
he winds up getting beaten that game. So, I mean, you still have to go out and play the games, and you're right, the schedule favors them. There's absolutely no question about that. Uh, but, you know, you, you've played so well. You split with the Diamondbacks at home on this, on this homestand. You've split with the Diamondbacks. You swept the Phillies, and you have a chance to win a series against the Braves. And, you know, if you come off of that being, you know, pretty high on yourself, you know, and you're not ready to go and play, then, then these other teams can, can jump up and bite you. And, you know, the other part of it is now they're a game under 500. And we've been saying for quite a while now, well, the biggest thing to do is to get to 500. And once you do that and get over that 500 mark, then you can start talking about what we need to do to, to get into contention and to stay there. We're talking with Craig Heist, and uh, Heisty, uh, what's the story with tonight's game? Who's pitching? Well, tonight it's uh, Anibal Sanchez, who's coming off three just fabulous outings. He's going up against Mike Fultonavich, who uh, uh, has been is, less than stellar. Struck. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. He's been less than stellar, although he's coming off of a decent game, Fultonavich. Yeah, yeah, but he's two and five. His ERA is not where he would like it to be. Uh, I, I want to say it's in the mid-fours. It may even be five. I'm not sure. But, uh, I mean, again, this is a guy that's been a pretty steady performer for them over the course of the last few years, and he's not pitching all that well. So uh, I, I will say this about the Braves. Having watched Dallas Keuchel last night, his uh, two stints, his two minor league stints in the rehab since signing back on June the 7th, were by all indications, and everybody that watched him, pretty solid. Mm -hmm. uh, with what he did in the first three innings last night, until the Nats eventually got him to bring the ball up in the in the zone a little bit, uh, was was pretty good. Now the other part of that is going forward. There's not a question in my mind he's going to help that team yeah. immensely coming down the stretch in the second half. Agree, agree totally on that. Um, tomorrow, who's pitching tomorrow for the Nats and the Braves? Well, my guess is Joe Ross because he was activated yesterday, and that's I mean, nothing's official, but that seems to be uh, what was going on because they activated Joe Ross yesterday, uh, brought him up from Fresno, and they wound up uh, they they wound up sending uh, Adrian Sanchez back down to Double A Harrisburg. How's he been pitching, Joe Ross, in uh, Fresno? Uh, not too badly. Uh, again, uh, again with Joe, it's all about fastball command. Uh, I mean, you know, he's got to get ahead of hitters. If he doesn't get ahead of hitters and put himself in bad counts, he, he's not going to fare very well. So again, he's got to come out and and do that and get ahead get ahead with strike one, and uh, that's the best pitch for any pitcher, but especially him uh, because it makes all of his secondary stuff that much better. All right, Craig, last question I got for you, and then we're going to make way for um, Kevin McAlpin, who you uh, arranged for us to interview. Uh, he covers the Atlanta Braves well, for a I got, I got some time, Stan, because they just came out of my apartment. They were in there vacuuming all the water out of the <laughs> right. bathroom. I know. I know. Anyway, we're going we're gonna to have Kevin on in just a moment, but I had one more Nats question to ask you from the Live Casino Hotel studio, and that is – do they get a deal done with um, Anthony Rendon? Do they? You know, I don't know whether they do or they don't. My guess is they're not going to. Yeah. That's my guess. And I'm only saying that because of recent history. You go you go back with Harper, and 
and even Bryce Harper said in the papers the other day when he was being asked about it, he says there's no chance they offer him or, or, or they re-sign him. So I would say the Nats fans enjoy Anthony Rendon while you have him here this year and see how far they can ride that train. Because when you think about this team and the way it's currently constructed, uh, Anthony Rendon is one of the heart and souls of this team, yeah. along with Max Scherzer. I mean, you go back to what Max Scherzer did the other night, uh, breaks his nose in a bunning drill, yep. then, turn, then turns around, gets a CAT scan, which was negative, and then comes out the next night and, and throws seven, seven scoreless yeah, I mean, on two just, hits. That's so, legendary. I mean, that's legendary, you know. And, and that's legendary stuff. You know, and I had somebody on my station say to me, you know, we, we've been through the 20 strikeout games. We've been through the couple of no-hitters. Right. He says, but this may be the most impressive thing I've that seen very cool. since, he's, since he's been here since 2015. And uh, while, while Max was downplaying it and say, really, this looks a lot worse than what it feels or anything like that. But, I mean, you know, when they were deciding whether or not he was going to pitch or not, and it was up in the air, there were all kinds of uh, considerations as to, well, you, you know, is the is the black eye and the swelling under the eye going to be able to affect him? Is he going to have any breathing problems? All of those things had to be taken into consideration. But as we saw, he came through with flying colors. You know, we use that phrase a lot of times now that something has bad optics. Everything about mm-hmm. Scherzer's performance the other night had great optics. I mean, it really... Well, it, it did, and I'll tell you something else. I told Max this to his face uh, during the winter uh, caravan uh, that they had the uh, the Winterfest down in Washington at the stadium. And uh, when he came over to visit myself and Andy Poland, we were on the air, and I said to him, I said, you know, I've watched a lot of great pictures. I grew up watching Jim Palmer. I was, I'm obviously a big fan of Mike Messina, who's going in the Hall of Fame. Right. And, and I said, but I said, since you've been a national, and I said, and I did cover you a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, when you would come to town and, and pitch for the Tigers. Uh, I said, to me, you're the best right-hander I've seen. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and I truly that mean case. that. You could make that case. No question about yeah, it. Yeah, that's no question. All right. Good luck with everything you got going on. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Well, the dr- the drama is essentially over with. <laughs> All right. All right. But but I had to. I just couldn't make it up. I had to uh, do this and get this taken care of. I understand totally. Don't worry about it. All right. All right. I'll see you later. Talk to you soon, Heisty. All right. Uh, we're gonna. Are we taking a timeout or are we going right to? Uh... It's totally up to you. You you didn't keep me in the loop on that one uh let's go to let's make our connection okay. with kevin McAlpin. Okay. let's make our connection with kevin McAlpin. we'll remind you that we are broadcasting from the live casino hotel studios and uh, we'll also tell you right now because live casino hotel studios very special sponsor of our uh title sponsorship of our studio but they're also a sponsor of the programs that we do here and they have a Great concert on the schedule coming up. Get tickets now to see the legendary Boz Skaggs out of the Blue Tour on Friday, June the 28th. Tickets start at $45 and include $10 in free slots play. Go to livecasinohotel.com now to get your tickets. That's the Boz Skaggs out of the Blue Tour at Live Casino Hotel. Joining us right now is a very fine Braves beat reporter for AM680 in Atlanta, and that is the one and only, and I say that because he's a friend of Craig Heights, Kevin McAlpin. Kevin, thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day. 
Of course. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I'm only doing this because I knew Craig wouldn't be on the show. So I... <laughs> uh, anytime he's not around, happy to talk baseball. <laughs> yeah, when I get Bill Latson, Bill Latson goes, I'll do it for you. You're my friend, not Craig Heist. <laughs> anyway, Kevin, uh, what do you think uh, the Braves, how were they feeling uh, last night at the performance of Dallas Keuchel? Well, I think for his first time out, they were okay with it. You know, there was a couple of plays that weren't made behind him, uh, but he was he was pretty good. I thought, you know, he, he made two appearances in the minors, and uh, from what I was told, his stuff looked good. And for a guy who hasn't been in a big league game in eight and a half months, I thought he was fine. Um, you know, again, a couple of plays weren't made behind him. The, right off the bat, you know, Trey Turner reaches on that infield single, uh, but, you know, I think the Ozzy Albies error kind of set the tone for the rest of the game. That's when things kind of spiraled on him. Uh, he made that one mistake on the home run, uh, a cutter that didn't run in enough. Uh, but other than that, you know, his stuff looked good to me. Uh, and I think he's going to be a really good addition to this ball club. Uh, looking about about a week ago, about two weeks ago, I was looking ahead at the schedule that the Braves had, the Nationals had, the Mets and the Phillies. And uh, I, I saw something pretty staggering to me of the next seven series, and we're now, this is now the third series since I looked this up. The Braves had six of seven of their next series were against good plus 500 teams or competitive teams like the Nationals and the Mets in the division. The, the uh, Phillies had five of seven, and the Washington Nationals only had three of seven, and after Sunday's game, their next four series, the the, uh, the Nationals are against Miami, Kansas City, Detroit, and Miami. Now, I know you probably eventually play some of those teams um, again, but, boy, that's a stretch where it looks like the Nats could be poised to pick up some substantial ground. Well, and I've been telling fans back in Atlanta, I would be a lot more concerned about the Nationals than the Phillies. Mm -hmm. I really would. You know, losing Andrew McCutcheon was a big blow for them. Their bullpen has been a disaster, as have really, let's be honest, four teams in this division have have bullpen issues. You know, yeah. I, the only team I'm leaving out is, is the Marlins. Is the Marlins, but, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you know, when you look at it, in my opinion, I think the Nationals are the more dangerous team. Anytime you're running out a rotation of guys like Scherzer and Corbin and Strasburg and, heck, even Anibal Sanchez, who the Braves saw last year and, and was their second most consistent starter, uh, a really good veteran guy to have in your mix towards the bottom of your rotation. Um, you know, I see he's kind of turned things around here in D.C. after a, a disastrous start. So, you know, for me, it, the offense here in D.C. is going to get better. They're going to get Zim back, and that's going to be a big boost. So, you know, overall, big picture, looking at, you know, between now and the rest of the year, uh, you know, the Phillies are still, you know, four and a half back. But it, I think that the Nationals pose a much bigger threat to the Braves trying to repeat as division champs than the Phillies do right now. But I, I think that being said, whatever team in this division addresses their bullpen first will probably be the one that wins the division this year. We're talking with Kevin McAlpin. He's on AM680, Braves beat reporter uh, out of Atlanta. And Kevin, uh, what might a Braves attempt at fixing the bullpen look like right now? Are we talking Will Smith? Or are we talking Tony Watson? Uh, who who are they looking at, do you think? I would think Will Smith would be probably at the top of the list. He, he's, he makes his home right outside of Atlanta. He's about 30 miles south. Uh, he's from Noonan, Georgia. So, you know, he's obviously very familiar with the Braves. 
Uh, I was told um, not too long ago that there is a desire to pitch for the Braves uh, as far as Will Smith is concerned. So I think that would be a guy that would be a tremendous fit. Um, you know, there's other guys out there, uh, but I think that he would be at the top of the list. Uh, I think you look at, at a guy, you know, a closer is going to be at the top of their priority list. Sure. I know there was some talk about Craig Kimbrell and a reunion there, but the Braves just weren't comfortable with going with that, you know, multi-year deal. If Craig would have taken a, a one-year or maybe one in an option, mm-hmm. I could have seen it happening. But I, I think there was some, some, you know, some analytical data that the Braves just weren't comfortable going long-term with. So, a closer will definitely be there. I think another high leverage guy would be in the mix as well. And I'm not completely ruling out the fact that the Braves could be players for another veteran starter, say a Madison Bumgarner. Uh, I know I know he's not the same guy he was a couple of years ago, but another guy from North Carolina, grew up a Braves fan. Uh, I think pitching in Atlanta would be uh, something that would really intrigue him. If the Braves could re-sign him, they wouldn't, I think, give away a bunch of prospects for a rental. Uh, but, you know, I think that the Braves have to look at this as, as a window of opportunity, and it only stays open for so long. And if you have a chance to add a guy like a Bumgarner and potentially keep a guy like Keuchel around beyond this year, now you're talking about those two veteran guys with the mix of the Sorokas and the Freeds and there's a wave of guys at AAA. There's a wave of guys at AA in pitching prospects that are that are coming on strong. So uh, I think they feel like they're set up for the long term. But if you have a chance to go for it now, I think Alex Anthopoulos could be tempted to make those moves that could help the Braves at least advance beyond just the first round. I think just getting to the playoffs this year is not going to be nearly enough for this team after what they accomplished last year. Um, a player that you guys picked up from the Orioles in that trade last year for Kevin Gosman would be, if he were healthy, the perfect leverage reliever. Mm-hmm. Not not the closer, but Darren O'Day. I don't hear a word about him getting close to anything. Is Am I right on that, or is there something going on? No, you know, he's just recently started playing catch, which is really the first, literally the first step uh, in in inching towards, you know, getting baseball activities more ramped up. Uh, But that's a big blow. I think when you look at how the Braves uh, built their bullpen this offseason, Darren O'Day was a guy they factored to be, you know, a high leverage guy, uh, potentially a setup guy. They had a Rodas Vizcaino. He got hurt. He's out for the year. That's a big time loss. Uh, they had Shane Carl, who was a guy that was, you know, potentially an all-star candidate in the first half of last season. He has not been the same guy. AJ Minter was uh, very inconsistent to start the year. They had to send him out to AAA. Dan Winkler, another guy that was a, a big part of that pen last year, he just hasn't been the same. So really, coming into spring training, there was five guys. That's five guys right. right there that the Braves felt really good with in their bullpen. They just haven't worked out. So, uh, yeah, Darren O'Day, that would have been a big one. And, and the, the Braves thought he could be a, a really big piece of that. But, again, from what I'm told, it's, I'd be shocked if we see him pitch this year. And, again, yeah. that's, that's a tough one because yeah. that, was, that was a really good piece to add to that trade when they got Kevin Gossman. Now, what about – now, of course, the Orioles' agenda was, was unloading the contracts uh, of uh, Gosman, who I mean, Gosman was arbitration eligible, but the Orioles were not going to pay him in the seven to eight million dollar range, and they wanted to get out from O'Day's money. But I know with Dave Wallace and Dom Chidi back in the Braves organization, they must have touted Alex strongly that they felt they could work through some issues with Gosman, and yet there's Kevin Gosman, I think two and six with an ERA over six. I know he's on the IL right now. What's the status there? 
Well, he's uh, he's been a disaster. Let's let's yep. just be completely honest with it. I mean, he's a two pitch pitcher, a fastball, and the uh, the splitter, and he's not missing bats. I mean, the the numbers were just alarming uh, over uh, his final three starts. He gave up twenty two earned runs in, I believe it was nine and a third innings, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, it was just he was getting you know pounded. Um, I think you know he needs to mix in a third pitch. He has the slider, but he hasn't been using it, and uh, you know he's felt like. He's been effective throughout the course of his career as a two-pitch pitcher, but it just hasn't been there this year. So he's on the IL right now. I, I was told he's going down to the Braves complex in Florida uh, while the team's on the road to throw some live BPs and things like that. Uh, but, you know, I think the one adjustment he made last season that was beneficial for him because he did pitch pretty well down the stretch for the Braves last season uh, was ditching the, uh, ditching the windup. He pitched strictly out of yep. the stretch, and that he was seeing some better results on his pitches uh, but right now, it's just he's been a totally different guy. And, you know, I think when he does come back, he probably finds himself in the Braves' bullpen because, you know, right now, Julio Tehran's pitching well. Mike fulton has been inconsistent, but his last couple outings have been better. You're not doing anything with Freed and Soroka. And, of course, Dallas Keuchel's in the mix now. And you also have Sean Newcomb, who made a spot start last week. He's been really good out of the Braves' bullpen. So right now there's no room for Gosman in the rotation, and I would think he becomes probably a long guy out of the bullpen when he does come back, and that could be you know, probably when this team returns from this long 10-game road trip. Kevin, I'm going to share something with you that's going to make you look like a genius down in Atlanta. The, the, and I've written this before, and I was proponent of it. This is going back 20 years ago or 20-plus years. When Arthur Rhodes was a great pitching prospect in the Oriole organization, I watched him start a few games, and he was disastrous. And I got into a big argument with then the uh, Kevin Malone, who was the assistant GM to Pat Gillick, and I said, you guys ought to make Arthur Rhodes a relief pitcher. Certain pitchers need to come to the ballpark every night having to be on edge that they might have to pitch that night. And I wrote the story about two years ago about Gosman. Gosman belongs as a, not the closer, he belongs in the seventh, eighth inning of, of high leverage. The, the guy right before the bridge, he can do great things like that. Almost like a mini Andrew Miller uh, where he, he pitches three or four times a week and impacts games, he'd be much better at it than ever trying to be a starter. Well, and, and that's probably what his role will end up being when yep. he does come back. I mean, that's just, you know, I, and, and look, the big thing for him is he's got to start missing bats and he's got to start hitting his spots. And the splitter, you know, it's just, it has not had that, that downward plane action that we, we saw last season. So if he can get that right and he can start, you know, you know, working down in the zone, keeping the ball in the ballpark, I agree. I think he could be a guy that, that could help this team. Uh, you know, he's a veteran, and, you know, they've got a lot of young guys in that pen. So, you know, for me, you can never have too many veteran guys down in that bullpen. And I, I agree. I think that's, that's probably where he's going to end up. And, I mean, uh, Rhodes, Arthur that. Rhodes made about 60 to $70 million in oh, yeah. his career being a, being a bridge guy. He never really wanted to be the closer either. He, listen, he's a sweet guy. Kevin Gosman, not a bad bone in his body. He's got an awful lot of Gomer Pyle in him. And uh, those kind of guys wouldn't make good starting pitchers. You need him to go out and just fire, not be thinking of how to get guys out two and three times in the sequencing. He just needs to fire because he does have an electric arm. Yeah. He does, and you're right. He's a tremendous guy. I've really enjoyed having yeah. him around uh, almost this last calendar year now. Um, and, look, I think you, you look at, at what Sean Newcomb has done. I mean, he was yeah. a starter, and I think he still feels like long-term – 
he's going to be a starter, but he has been a it's, a, it's a different mentality. He has a different mindset. And the thing I liked about it is when you take guys that were starters and you turn them into relievers, they can let it eat from the first pitch. You don't have to hold back and, and say, hey, I've got to face these guys two and three times. I've got to go out there and you know preserve my arm to go 100 pitches. These guys, and we'll, that's what we've seen from Nuke. I mean, he's just out there. He's letting it eat. He's, he's firing. He, he's you know, throwing strikes. Uh, he's been a totally different guy, and, and maybe that would benefit Gosman for sure if he goes forward. Braves beat reporter Kevin McAlpin is with us. Kevin, just a couple more questions. He's with 680 AM 680 out of Atlanta. Uh, Kevin, um, what's it been like for two straight seasons to see sort of a debut of first Ronald Acuna and now Austin Riley? It's been a treat. It really has. And not even just to watch them, but, you know, to see the impact that they've yeah. made. It's an immediate impact. And, you know, for, for last season, for Acuna, I think, you know, a lot of folks from a fan base standpoint felt like he should have broke camp with the big league club. Uh, but Alex Anthopoulos also wanted to give him a little bit more seasoning. I mean, look, it, Alex was very candid in saying, you know, if I was here a couple of years ago, I wouldn't have moved Dansby Swanson as quick as, as the organization did. Uh, a little extra time in the minors never hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that, you know, again, to see these guys that are 20, 21, 22 years old come up and make such an impact, the crazy thing is is that we're sitting here talking about uh, Ender Inciarte, a three-time Gold Glove Award winner, right. and he's on the injured list. And the, the big question is, where do the Braves put him when he comes back from the IL? You're taking a guy who's a three-time Gold Glove Award winner and saying, we don't really need this guy right now. It's hard to believe, but that's the type of impact that uh, Austin Riley has had. Big time bat. Uh, he's played left field pretty well. I mean, look, he's still a work in progress. He's a third baseman by trade, mm-hmm. uh, but I think he's handled that uh, that transition to left field really well. Uh, and again, these guys are, are beyond their years. They don't look like kids when they're out there. The only time they look like kids is when they're they're screwing around in the dugout and they're you know knocking each other's heads off and and you know having a lot of fun and tackling each other. That's the only time you really remember that they're kids. But when they're on the field, they flip the switch and and they look like seasoned veterans. And again, they've both had a tremendous impact on this ball club. Hey, uh, last year, young Ozzy Albies in his second season had 69 extra base hits, 40 doubles, five triples, 24 home runs. He signs a contract. I don't think I've heard a ball player get criticized like that since Harold Baines won in the Hall of Fame. Uh, is he happy with the deal he signed? Because I think he, I think he has a right to sign that deal, uh, lock down security for his family, uh, and he'll still be young enough to make a lot more money when this contract's over. That, that's the big thing. I've heard the criticism, and for me, my argument to that is, he didn't have to sign that deal. If right. he didn't think it was fair, if he didn't like it, $35 million over seven years, he didn't have to sign that deal, but he did. And look, he comes, and the same thing can be said for Ronald Acuna because a lot of folks felt like Acuna signing that $100 million deal left potentially a couple of hundred million dollars on the table. But these guys, they come from very humble backgrounds. Uh, look, I think that any one of us would sign that deal. It's tremendous, life-changing money. And again, neither of them had to do it. There was no gun held to their head saying, you better sign this or else. Uh, but I think that it's a combination of the fact that they love the organization. They respect that the, that the organization gave them an opportunity to play at the highest level. And like you said, it gives them a chance to hit the free agent market when they're 30 years old in the prime of their career. There's still plenty of money for both these guys to be, to be made. But again, it's life-changing money. They're taken care of. Their family's taken care of. Their kids and their grandkids. 
will not have anything to worry about for the rest of their lives. So for anybody that wants to say it was the worst contract ever, well, again, my argument is there, there, was, no, uh, there was no sign this or else you're gone. I mean, it's, it's guaranteed money. And as we know in this game, injuries happen. Things can happen throughout the course of players' careers where that money would not necessarily be guaranteed. So I'm happy for both those guys. They love being in Atlanta. And believe me, they're both excited to be going through this together because Ozzie and Ronald are – just about the best of friends you will find on a baseball field. I remember not too long ago when the Astros were in their rebuild, they had a young first baseman who was a can't-miss prospect. His name was John Singleton. Yeah. He signed a three- or four-year $10 million deal or something. And I remember Bud Norris went ballistic. The Players Association went ballistic. You know, at least John Singleton, hopefully he's got some of that money left because he was a total flop as a player. Exactly. And again, look, nothing is guaranteed. I mean, you, you know, a, a bad injury could derail yep. your career tomorrow. And so, you know, again, to get that type of financial security is, is tremendous. And I, look, I, I think that these guys are also looking at the way the free agent market has gone the last couple of years. Now, that being said, this is still eight to 10 years down the road for both those sure, guys. But sure. I think there's a lot of concern about where free agency is going and guys don't want to get to that point where, they're sitting into to May and June without jobs, and, and there's still guys that are out there and available. For me, the one guy that I can't believe is still unsigned is Evan Gaddis. He hit 25 bombs last right. year for the Houston Astros, right. and no one gave him a sniff at a job this year. I, I can't believe a guy like that was never signed. All right. Hey, Kevin, many thanks, and we'll keep it between us that you did the show only because I asked, not Craig Heights. <laughs> yeah, don't let Craig get a big head about it, all no, right? No, no. Hey, really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right, there's Kevin McAlpin from uh, AM680 in Atlanta. He covers the Atlanta Braves. Um, the Costas Inn uh, did an ad solo earlier in the program, and I don't have Craig Heist doing it for me, but I can r- rattle it off. Monday night is ribs night. Tuesday night is crab cake night. Wednesday night is steak night, my favorite night. Thursday night is lobster night. And Friday, Pete and Nick come up with a whole bevy of of incredible specials, food specials. But don't forget, one of the things that makes the Costas Inn so special is their crabs, crab cakes, and crab soup. It's just the best you can get in town. They're located 4100 North Point Boulevard. If you've got some type of family event coming up, a birthday, an anniversary, a graduation, uh, the Costas Inn can do it for you either in your home or you can bring a bunch of people there Call 410-477-1975 to make your arrangements or to buy a gift card for somebody as just a birthday present. The Costas Inn, one of the best places around, and they've been doing it since the 70s. This is Ross Grimsley with a reminder to all my baseball friends out there that I'm now part of the Press Box podcast team. Catch my take on the O's and whatever's going on in this great game of baseball. We'll also touch base with some of my old friends and teammates. Tune in every Tuesday morning or listen anytime at PressBoxOnline.com slash Ross Grimsley Show. I like world-famous chicken. You like world-famous chicken. We all like Royal Farms world-famous chicken. Why? Because Royal Farms world-famous chicken's always fresh, never frozen. Because it's hand-dipped in a secret recipe of herbs and spices. Because it's cooked on the spot, right in the store. And because it's the juiciest, best-tasting chicken on the planet. That's why everyone likes Royal Farms world-famous chicken. Western fries, too. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Respect. It's more than a word. 
In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's a special double issue celebrating Ed Reed's upcoming induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The legendary safety detailed his odyssey from an unheralded prospect out of New Orleans, Louisiana, to a Hall of Fame career in Baltimore, and his commitment to both hometowns. Plus, the teammates, coaches, family members, and friends that know Ed Reed the best share their favorite stories about him ahead of his induction. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The Glory Days Grill-to-Go menu is based on a simple reality. You can't spend your whole life at Glory Days Grill. Your boss wouldn't like it, and neither would your kids or your dog. So come to Glory Days and get your food to go. On your way to soccer practice, or to the office, or to, well, wherever. We know the hardest part of visiting Glory Days Grill is leaving. But at least you take a little piece of us wherever you go. Glory Days Grill. Great food. Good sports. As the weather heats up, the menu at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square cools down, introducing the all-new Frosted Key Lime, a fun twist on one of America's favorite pies. The new treat is a hand-spun combination of Chick-fil-A's signature ice dream, Chick-fil-A lemonade, and natural sugar-free lime flavoring made from a blend of key limes, coffer limes, and Persian limes. Frosted Key Lime gets its green color from a mix of nutrient-rich ingredients. Download the Chick-fil-A app today, place your order, and get points towards free stuff at our Chick-fil-A. Nottingham Square. Plus, if you order using your app, your food will be ready when you get there. Stop by Chick-fil-A in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center at 5198 Campbell Boulevard and tell Steve we sent you. Get your tickets now for the premier high school lacrosse game of the year. The Under Armour All-American Boys and Girls Senior Game will be on June 29th at Johns Hopkins Historic Homewood Field. Log on to underarmorlacrosse.com for your chance to see the highest level of play up close and in person. The event will be shown live on ESPNU and you might even be on TV. Go to underarmorlacrosse.com and get your tickets now. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's a special double issue celebrating Ed Reed's upcoming induction to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The legendary safety detailed his odyssey from an unheralded prospect out of New Orleans to a Hall of Fame career in Baltimore and his continued commitment to both hometowns. Plus, the teammates, coaches, family members, and friends that know Ed Reed the best share their favorite stories about him ahead of his induction into the Hall of Fame. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. And also my column, uh, I thought, very thought-provoking. I make my plea with Brian Billick going into the Ravens' ring of honor. I make my plea for the late David Modell, who was a friend and one of the original founders of the franchise, and with whom, uh, without his uh, good auspices, the Ravens may not have been as accepted uh, in Baltimore. It may have come to the very same ending that their class organization and everything, 
he set all that in motion. He did the heavy lifting, not Art Modell, uh, his late uh, stepfather, but David Modell did a fantastic job making uh, things good here in Baltimore for pro football. And I think the Ravens and Steve Bishotti should honor him as, as such. Uh, Ryan uh, McGittigan, we done? Well, we are about done. Is just got to sign off. Noon, 12.05. 12.05, then we are done. Nine o'clock. I appreciate your being here. I appreciate Griffin Bass being here and Brett Bloom. That's it for this week. Don't forget, uh, Monday 10 to 12, Monday through Friday 10 to 12, from the Live Casino Hotels to Glenn Clark Radio Show with Kyle Ottenheimer. And on Tuesday at 9 a.m., the Ross Grimsley Show, brought to you by Sliders and the Costas Inn. That's it for today. Have a great rest of your weekend.